So we are continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians. Um, and Ephesians is, and I told Brandon this morning actually, it's been quite a, a challenge of a book, right? Because it's taken us 44 weeks now to get to where we are. We're coming towards the end of it. And we have looked at every word and every piece and every little nuance. And it has taken us through some really deep valleys. It's taken us through some deep theology. It's walked us through some really challenging places. It's taken us um, up through the kind of mountaintops of life and into the depths of the valleys. And Paul has walked us every, through everything from marriage and sexuality to, you know, life's diff- difficulties and disappointments. And it is a book for the church. It's a call for the church to remember who God says he is and to live into that. And part of that reality is, is that's how we're called to do life. Everything that we do as a church is not easy, right? It's hard. We like to come in here and, and preach sermons and feel like it's going to be an encouragement all the time. And we just hear the word of God and we, we walk out feeling better about ourselves. But life's, life is hard. Um, life is really hard. And for a lot of us, we struggle and deal with the realities in those things. And, and part of that is what we sit with here on Sunday morning. And the truth of the matter is we're dealing with some of those things this week. We have some families in our church that are walking through really difficult and deep challenges. We've had some diagnosis over this past week or two that have been really hard to swallow. Um, We've had some unexpected loss that has been tremendously hard. Um, We have a family here today that is dealing with some of that loss. The truth of the matter is, is that this world will throw us all these things. And Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church, is really about walking in truth, in the middle of these places. And what we're going to see this morning as Paul begins to ask for prayer for himself is this idea that we are called as a community to so love and care for one another that we are intertwined with each other's victories and we are intertwined with each other's deepest valleys. That we care and know each other so deeply and so well that we walk through life's hurts together and we celebrate life's victories together. And so as we gather this morning in the middle of all those, Paul is going to pause and say, church, I need you to pray for me. And he's going to be real raw and he's going to be real honest. And we're going to look at what that looks like because each one of us is in that same precarious place looking at this thing saying, life is hard. I'm dealing with some struggles and some things that I don't know where to file or where to put them. And I need the people around me to pray for me. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at two verses as we kind of take a transitional turn this morning. So remember, if you've been here for a little while, you'll recognize that for the past four or five weeks, we've really been walking through Paul's exploration of the armor of God. And he's talking to us and saying this, look, church, you are going to fight a battle that is not going to be against flesh and blood. You are going to fight a battle that is spiritual in nature, that the enemy The enemy is going to do everything he can to destroy you. And we talked at length about what that battle looks like, right? That your struggle is not against flesh and against blood, but it's against the powers and the authorities of this dark world that the devil rolls around, roars around like a prowling lion. He literally wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It's his very nature. He is a liar and deceiver. And Paul tells the church, you are going to be at war. And so therefore, God has given you all that you need. He has equipped you through the Holy Spirit, and he begins to walk us through this armor of God. Right, That we would take the belt of truth and we'd buckle it around our waist. That we'd fit our feet with the gospel. Right, That we would have the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. 
the helmet of salvation. We talked through all these things. And then we get to last week where he says, we're going to begin to put all these things together, and we are going to call the church to pray. Because this is how we actively fight. He says, be alert and always pray for all the saints. And the idea is, church, we are called to be a part of each other's battle, to fight and care for one another and pray for one another and be known and know people. And so Paul then is going to take this moment today where he just stops for a second. And he has the same train of thought, but it's almost like he takes this deep breath. He just went through all this armor of God. He pauses and he takes this deep breath and he says, and pray also for me. And he's going to tell us why. And then he's going to begin to close this letter and we're going to wrap it up in just a couple of weeks. But let's look at what Paul asks the church for this morning. Um, as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses, 18, or verses 19 and 20. And before we do that, let's just take a moment and let's pray. Lord, your word, as we have learned, is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. It is the very breath of God. Lord, what we have learned over these past few weeks is that your word is the active tool that we have to combat the lies of the enemy. It speaks comfort and truth. It binds up the brokenhearted. It nurtures the soul of those who are longing. It answers the questions for those of us that have them. Sometimes those answers aren't always perfect. Sometimes they don't always make sense. But your word is comforting. Your word is whole. Your word is binding. It is your very breath. And so this morning as we open it and we listen to Paul's heartbeat, what I pray, Lord, is that you would begin to press on us the importance of caring for each other, praying actively for those in our life, Lord, that we care about willing to walk with people through life's greatest moments and life's most difficult defeats. For you are a God who never leaves nor forsakes. And so, Lord, let Paul's words ring true in our heart this morning as we study your word together. Take a moment right as you sit here and just ask the Lord this morning to teach your heart. I don't know why you're here, kind of what brought you here this morning. I'm guessing it's all kinds of different reasons, but just ask for the next few moments that God may just take this little singular piece of text here and he might just comfort your heart. He might teach you something. Lord, human words will fail. My words will always fail. But your word stands true, and it speaks into the deepest recesses of our soul. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would take the weight of life, Lord, and that you would cover it with your word. And what we would hear is exactly what you want to speak to us. And we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. Amen. So two verses. This is what Paul says, right? We just came off this. He says, he says this in verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the saints. And I want you to imagine Paul just pauses. All right, just takes this pause and he takes this deep breath. Because it's the same letter, same train of thought, but it's almost as if he's sort of shifting gears out of that and into this. So he pauses and he takes this deep breath and then he says this to the church. And pray also for me 
that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So he comes off this armor of God and he says, and pray also for me. I find this remarkable. There's a lot of things kind of buried in these two short verses, but I find this remarkable that Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus who he just spent five and a half full chapters giving in-depth instruction to, telling him where they've kind of misdefined things, where they've messed up definitions of marriage and sexuality and how they need to go back to the theology of knowing who Christ is. And he does all this incredible teaching. He instructs them that they're going to be in this incredible battle, this incredible war. It's not to be against flesh and blood. They're going to have to gird themselves up and strap all these things that God has given them together to put on this armor to fight an enemy that wants to only kill them. Right? He gives them all this incredible instruction. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. And then he pauses for a moment and he says, and pray also for me. And it's a remarkable thing, right? I mean, this is Paul, the Apostle. This is Paul who Jesus showed up in his life on the road to Damascus. This is Paul who he tells the church in Acts essentially that, that he was revealed this truth directly by the Holy Spirit of God that he wasn't given it or he didn't learn it by somebody else, that the Lord literally downloaded this revelation to him, that on that road to Damascus, Jesus speaks directly to him and gives him this ministry that he begins to take the gospel to the Gentile world. This is Paul, author of two-thirds of the New Testament and perhaps the greatest theologian and voice of this New Testament movement of God, right? And this is Paul who says, and pray also for me. And what it's reminded me of is simply this. Like there are people in our life that we know we are called to pray for. They're, they, maybe they're hurting or maybe they're struggling or maybe they ask for a prayer request. But then there are also people in our life that we never give two thoughts about praying for, right? Sometimes those are our pastors. Sometimes they're our leaders, our elders. They're missionaries. They're Bible study leaders. They're, they're people that are in a, a place of sharing and teaching the word of God. And we oftentimes see them and we think, oh, this person knows the word or they have it all together or they're the one that's doing the teaching and they fall out of our rhythm of what we think is a valuable place to put our prayers. And so we pray for the broken and we pray for the weak and we pray for those that are struggling and those that are, need their hearts bound up or those that have decisions to be made. And those are all important things. But on the top of our list of people, would Paul have been on the top of your list of people to pray for? Probably not, right? Because this is Paul. I mean, Paul's got it together. But Paul, in this moment of real humility, because he knows he's just one of the saints. When he tells him in that verse last week to always keep on praying for all the saints, Paul recognizes that he is simply one of the saints. And that at any moment in time, he is vulnerable to the exact same things that the enemy wants to do to you and to me. There is none of us that is outside of the deep need of the prayers of the people of God. We are all one situation away from doing whatever it is you think you are completely incapable of doing. Every single one of us. No matter how great that family is sitting next to you or how strong you feel like their husband or wife is or that person that sort of mentored you or even Brandon or myself, which it, it, the reality is every single one of us is fully susceptible to the sin and the brokenness of the world. And Paul recognizes that. And so he looks at this group of people. Remember, Paul is in prison in Rome writing this letter, waiting to stand trial before Nero, who is going to decide essentially if he lives or dies. And he says, pray also for me. 
And it's almost like he has this sort of open heart moment with the church where it's no longer me just giving you instructions, but it's me as one of you saying, we're in this thing together and I need your prayers because what I am facing is, is very real. Very real. So he says, and pray also for me. And then he begins to say a few things that he'd like us to pray for. And the first thing he mentions is he says, pray for me that when I open my mouth. You know, it's an interesting phrase. If you're, if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, the term open the mouth or open my mouth is ascribed and attributed oftentimes in the Old Testament to prophets. If you go back and read any of the minor prophets or even the major prophets, you will see that they were the mouthpieces of God. They were given a message by God to deliver usually to one of the kings or one of the leaders of either the northern or the southern kingdom or of Israel. And they were the mouthpiece of God. And they were to go to these people and say, God has given me a word for you. I'm going to tell you. And use that word was incredibly precarious and usually often got this prophet killed or in a lot of trouble. God had given them a difficult message in which they were to proclaim to the people. And when that message was about to be proclaimed, you will read in the Old Testament that the phrase is used, and he opened his mouth. Now, of course, in order to speak, you have to open your mouth. But it's a, it is a phrase that is about to establish something significant that's going to happen. Like the words that he is about to speak are not ordinary words. The words that are about to be proclaimed are not the ordinary human words that you might think would be coming. But these are actually God's words projecting God's desires for you. And the prophet opened his mouth and God began to speak. And Paul's using that phrase because he recognizes that that is his call as the proclaimer of the gospel, as the preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles, to the world. He is the mouthpiece of God. He is the prophetic voice. And he says, pray also for me so that when I open my mouth, right? So he says that when I begin to speak, right, and I begin to speak the true and authentic words of God, that something significant will happen, right? That's what he's getting ready to ask for. And it's really powerful, right? Because we have to understand that every time the gospel is preached, there is one of two things that is happening, and sometimes both. The first is that hearts are being tenderized or moved in the direction of receiving this eternal, incredible message of the gospel. They are being drawn closer to who God is. Or two, hearts are being hardened and people are moving farther away to this eternal kind of destructive thing. Every single time the word is preached, one of those two things, if not both, are happening. Every time the word of God is preached, there's something that is happening for eternal significance. And the truth is, even in this place this morning, this may be the very last time somebody in this room hears the gospel. We take that call seriously. And we should. What we do on Sunday mornings and even anytime we preach and teach the gospel is not a light task. It is not something where our goal is just to kind of entertain and move on. We are carrying the weight of life and death that comes in the very word of God. As Paul says, as I begin to open my mouth or as a prophetic voice for proclaiming the gospel, the weight in which what I share is incredibly important. And I know that and I need you to pray for me. Because this isn't about just the words. But there is something that God is doing of eternal significance. Every single time we gather and we open God's word, something of eternal significance is happening. Isaiah tells it this way. He says, the word of God that goes out never returns empty. 
never returns void. Meaning that every time God's word is preached, something is unfolding in the human heart. So Paul says, this task that I've been given is weighty. It's weighty. And I need you to pray for me. And I need you to pray that as I proclaim the word, a few things happen. Right? And he's being really transparent with the church. And he asks for three things. The first thing that he asks for as he opens his mouth is he says, I pray that, the, that words may be given. So he said, I pray this, pray, or pray this for me, that as I open my mouth, right, as I proclaim this gospel, this important thing, that words may be given. Now this is important, right? It's important because what Paul's saying is that human words that I have, the ones that I can kind of formulate, are totally worthless. I need to be given the word of God. I need to be given words by God. My human words are meaningless What I need is God to give me the words that need to be spoken. They need to be the ones that God wants to be spoken. He knows the hearts of the people that are reading or hearing these things. Even as I sit here in Rome waiting to speak to Nero, I need you to pray that God would give me the words. And coming from Paul's is pretty significant. Paul was an incredible order. He was one of the greatest preachers that we know in the New Testament outside of perhaps Apollos, who was known as this incredible intellectual. In fact, Paul was such a good preacher that in Acts 14, he tells us that pagans thought that he was a god because he spoke so well. In fact, they called him Hermes or Mercury, the Roman god, because that was the mouthpiece or the messenger of the gods. They believed that Paul was such a great speaker that he must be a god. Like, that's how good his words were. Now, here's the deal. What Paul says is that what I need are not my words. What I need is that God would give me the words. And what Paul knew that even in his day, he needed God to give him the words because it was really tempting to do something totally different. This is the challenge and the struggle that every preacher will face. That I can use my own eloquent words and I can tell great stories and I can do the things that will entertain the people and I can tickle all of the ears. And I can have people that want to come back and say, you know, Trevor, you're the first person that's never put me to sleep. Right? Right? I've been told that exact thing before. And I want to be like, well, that ain't for all of you because I've seen a few of you sleeping in the back. But you can be told that, right? And so you begin to kind of go, how do I craft this so that somebody may hear this? And we begin to work towards the applause or the slaps on the back or the things that people say, man, that was, that was really great. We begin to rely on our own words. We begin to dance around the word of God because we know we run into something, which we've done in Ephesians, that aren't, it's not going to resonate with everyone. In fact, when we were talking about marriage and sexuality and all these things, I knew for a fact that it was going to be hard for a lot of folks to hear. Well, I don't want that. I don't want you to be like, oh, trebs of whatever. And so I wanted, my humanness says, man, we just, we want this to meet everybody right where they are. And so I don't want to offend someone. That's the danger, Right? The danger is we begin to lean on our own words and what we can do. And the challenge for the great preacher, right, the great orator, the one that can really master the English language is that they are so much more susceptible to rely on their own words. They're so much more susceptible to say, I got this. I can do this. I know how to do it. That we don't rely on God literally giving us the words. This challenge, it's what we're facing today. 
Like when we have these things, I know personally of the struggles that several of you are having right now this morning. The deep hurt, the deep difficulty, the internal struggles, the marital issues. All of these things that we've explored and talked about as, as, just as you called me and talked to me. And there's a huge part of my heart that just wants to speak directly to that. But there's other part of me that says, just say, Lord, I need you to give me the words that people need to hear. I don't know what they are. But I believe that you are a God who meets each one of us right where we are and so that your word, when we preach the gospel, does not return empty and you are speaking directly to the heart of whoever that may be. And I don't need to spread human words to make them feel better or glad they came. We just need to actively preach the word and let God do what God is going to do. And so this morning, as I, as I even thought about this and prepared, that was my whole heartbeat is like, look, I don't have the words to speak into the depth of hurt that some of you are sitting in this morning. My human words will fall tremendously short. There is no comfort I can give. There are no answers I can give as to why the things have happened that have happened. But I can trust that the word of God answers all. And like Paul, he says, and pray also for me that when I open my mouth, words may be given. This is what he actually says to the church in Corinth, right? As he's talking to them, he says this to the church in Corinth about what it means and what he wants to preach. He says, listen, when I was with you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or with superior wisdom as I proclaimed you a testimony about God. I didn't come with any of those things. He says this, he says, instead, right, instead I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your wisdom may not rest on man's power, but on the very power of God. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of God's power. So what he basically says is that, church, while I was with you, I resolved myself, Paul the great orator, I resolved myself to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with eloquence or with superior wisdom. I'm not better than you, I'm not smarter than you. I just came to you with a testimony about who God is because I want your knowledge of God to rely on his word and not on mine. Careful of the preachers that want to tickle your ears, right? Find the ones that preach the word of God and God will speak to each of our hearts. So he says this, he says, pray also for me, right? Pray for me. Pray that you, eyes open my mouth, I'll be given the words. Then he also asks this, he asks for fearlessness, Right? Look at the second part of that verse. I open my mouth, words may be given to me that I may fearlessly make known. You know, when I think about Paul, fearlessness is already what comes to my mind. Now, you remember, this is even in Paul's life before he gave his life to Christ. Think about how fearless he was. He stood there holding the cloaks of folks as they stoned Stephen to death. He goes to the high priest and he says, give me a letter that gives some authority and I will walk around every one of these villages and I will arrest every single person that says they're part of the Christian order. I'm not afraid of any of those fools. This is also, right, Paul, who later, as he gets saved, walks through the sword and the shipwrecks and the snake bites, all for the gospel, who faces imprisonment and lashings. More than once, Paul was lashed 39 times one less than a death sentence for his proclamation of Christ. Paul was fearless. I mean, I won't even be inconvenienced by the gospel. If you break out a whip, I'm done. Like, I'm like, I don't know who this God is. I want to, 
I mean, like, I'm a weakling. I have to have God's strength. Paul considered it a badge of honor. Yet here he is asking the church to pray that he would be fearless. Think about where Paul is. Paul is in prison in Rome, house arrest, prison, same thing. He's being guarded by guys 24 hours a day. And the funny thing about it is, this isn't like they came and arrested Paul. And if you remember our study, we studied the book of Acts for a couple of years. If you remember how Paul got to Rome, he didn't get drugged there by Roman soldiers. He took himself. He literally made the journey across the seas, shipwrecked, snake bites, the whole bit, to find himself in Rome and basically say, I'm here. And they're like, so? He's like, I'm here to see Nero, who was the worst and most horrific emperor of them all, who believed he was a god. And Nero is the one that actually put forth all of the sort of historical things that you hear about the horrible Roman empires that were putting Christians into the arenas and having them devoured by uh, animals. That was Nero. And Paul says, I'd like to see that guy. And they put him in jail. They actually put him in chains. He's in some house, which again, it's not, it's a house is like a, this is 2,000 years ago. It's mud. And he's strapped to the wall and guarded as he just waits for Nero to finally say, okay, yeah, maybe I'll see you. And Nero was making examples out of Christians. Paul's death was most likely sealed when he showed up in Rome. And here's what he asked the church as he's writing this letter or telling someone and they're pinning it for him. He says, pray that I may be fearless. Which tells me this, even at Paul, who he was, that fear was a thing that poked at the back of his mind, that touched his heart, that he actually contemplated at times, man, life would be a lot easier if I just, if I just didn't. Like if I just toned down this message a little bit, the Romans probably would be like, you're fine. You can go on your merry way. Remember, the Romans didn't care that the Christians proclaimed Christ. They cared that they proclaimed that there was only one God. That was the Romans' issue with the Christians. The Romans didn't care about what people group worshipped what God as long as they left room for all the gods, including Nero, who believed himself to be a god. So all Paul had to say was essentially, yes, I believe in this one God, but I'm also okay with the others. And they would be like, sweet, go on your merry way. You don't have to die today. That was real. He also knew that if he just toned down his rhetoric a little bit, the entire culture would probably accept him. And he can get out of jail and out of all these things. He knew that, and the enemy knew that, and the enemy whispered those things to Paul's heart. Nobody wants to have to suffer like that. Like, even if Paul is somehow some heroic figure, no one wants to die like that. At the hands of a tyrant, fed to live animals, beat to death. Fear is real. And the enemy uses as a weapon against us in very different ways depending on who we are and depending on the situations that we face. Sometimes we can be strong in the face of adversity and weak in our heart. Sometimes that fear is just, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm facing something I've never seen or experienced before, and I'm afraid of moving forward in life. I don't know what to do with this diagnosis. I don't know how this changes our family. I don't know what to do in deep loss. I don't know how to move forward, having loved so deeply and now feeling empty here on earth. Lord, I don't know how to continue to face what we're facing in our marriage. It seems insurmountable. I don't feel the way I used to feel, and I don't know what to do. Fear is real. 
And what Paul says here is that he begins to preach the gospel that fear would not be a hindrance to what he's doing. As you and I begin to live out this, this gospel message, we begin to live out our Christian faith, part of our call is to not let fear dictate our path. I'm not going to let it change my course. I'm not going to let it alter the things that I believe and know to be true about God. God promises me all through Scripture never to leave nor forsake me. I am not about to let fear alter that course now. Even in the wake of tragedy and difficulty, and I'm not going to let fear be the tide that swells my heart one way or the other. So Paul says, I want to be fearless, and I need to be fearless. And he's facing very real things. The third thing he asks that he asks prayer for is, is this, that he would be fearless as he makes known the mystery of the gospel. So pray also for me, right, that whenever I open my mouth, that I words may be given, that I would be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So Paul's concern is that as he found himself in chains, as he's waiting trial before Nero, as he's going through all these things, that he had this feeling that his call to proclaim the true and right gospel might be altered by some fear that is welling up in him. And so what he doesn't want to do is give into that fear and make the gospel cloudy. I don't want to preach a different message. The reformers used to say, what we need is plain preaching. That's what people need. They need to hear the gospel clearly and plainly. And we don't need to convolute it with all of our other things. And Paul knew that it was really easy, right, to preach something other than the authentic and true gospel that was cloudy. That maybe what people wanted to hear or maybe just was confusing or maybe focused too much on himself or maybe whatever, but it wasn't clear. What he wanted to do was make known the complex mysteries of the gospel. And the gospel is mysterious. And I say that in a way because I mean it doesn't always have perfect answers. We want it to, but it doesn't. In fact, we are sitting here this morning with some of us having more questions than we actually do answers. We are walking through things that don't have answers with a whole lot of whys. God, why did you allow this? God, why is this happening? God, we have trusted you and it feels like you are absent. Those are real things. But the gospel is not thwarted by those questions. It's tied up in the mystery that God always cares and protects even in the most difficult moments of our life, which we still have to walk through. God doesn't just take them away. He doesn't just relieve our pain. He prevails in it. But it's not easy, and it's a mystery. And it's really hard as a preacher to stand up here and not have answers and tell you that everything is going to be fine. Because you know what the truth is? It may not be on this earth. But there is a promise that outweighs them all. And what Paul wanted to do was make clear the mystery of the gospel. Because he knew that his words, whatever he said, were meaningless. They were empty. They were hollow. There was nothing of eternal significance that was happening when Paul himself, the person, spoke. 
But when his mouth was open, he was a mouthpiece of God, and God gave him the word through his Holy Spirit, God would make known the mystery of the gospel, and that is all that Paul cared about, was that people would walk out with a clear understanding that they needed Jesus. And even if that got him killed, he was okay with that. One of the great tragedies of the church, truthfully, especially the modern church, is that we have made this gospel message something that we feel like we need to cater to people so that they can hear what they need to hear. And go to any of our churches. We do it all the time. You walk out and you wonder what it is that you just heard. I heard a couple of funny stories, a couple of this, but I don't really know what it is. Or we walk out with great tweetable things, right? Great little snippets of stuff that we can kind of put into our, fit on a, right on a little Instagram reel. This and this. And we walk out with a little encouragement. I remember one of the great tragedies of my life, and I said it kind of tongue-in-cheek, it was just, but it, it was I was young. I was probably 24. I'd just kind of been doing ministry still for about, oh, five years. I've been doing this for a long time. And uh, it was Easter Sunday, and I was not preaching. I was working for a, a church, and a, our head pastor was preaching, and we were talking about Easter. And, um, and he was telling me about the goal of Easter. And he, he said this. He, he, actually, he actually said this. He said, listen, remember, on Easter Sunday, the goal here, we're going to have thousands of people here. He goes, and this was kind of a mainline church, and it was a long time ago. And so what Easter was like, we'd have like, instead of having 400, we'd have 2,200. And it was a monster. We'd have five services. Everybody would show up, right, because it's Easter. And he said, remember, the goal on Easter when you preach is not to preach a great one. It's not to preach a bad one. You just want to put one right down the middle of the fairway so that no one's offended and they all want to come back. And even as I say these words out loud, I want to vomit. <laughs> Literally, that was the goal. And again, I'm not throwing this guy under the bus because I think that's the heartbeat of a lot of the American church, which is let's entertain the people. Let's get them to want to come back. Once they get coming back, then they won't leave, and then we have them. But then we're stuck in this cycle of saying, what am I really doing for people? Am I presenting the word of God, or am I just telling them what they want to hear? Well, Paul had that fear. I could tell these people what they want to hear, and Nero would let me go, and I would live a happy life. Or I can proclaim the mystery of the gospel and die. And so he says, church, pray for me because I choose death. That's what he's basically saying. I need to choose death. I think part of me as a preacher wants to somehow, someday be in that same vein where it's like, if my goal is to stand up here and entertain you and have you come back next week, then I'd rather die. Like, what a waste. But if my goal is to introduce you to the word of God so that it can speak into every corner and crevice of your life and the good times and bad and the struggles, and it's where you fall and turn, because every time it comes out, there is a moment of eternal significance that is being worked then I want to choose that. And that's what Paul says. He says, the plain gospel is my goal. Listen to how he articulates articulate to the Galatians. He says this to Galatians, the church in Galatians, chapter 1. He says, but even if the angel from heaven should come, or if an angel from heaven should come and preach a gospel that is other than the gospel that was preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said and so now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men 
or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, there are going to be a lot of people that pop up and try and preach something that is alternate to the gospel. They're going to want to preach something that makes you feel good and that sounds right and is just true enough to not be heresy. They're going to tell you, right, that there is a great way to balance the reality of what culture says and the authentic word of God and that the two things can marry together. They're going to tell you that you can both serve yourself and serve Christ. They're going to tell you things that are contrary to the word, and Paul says, may they be eternally condemned. That's not light. And as I think about what I have to do as a preacher, if I preach something other than the authentic, true gospel, Paul says to the Galatians, may he be eternally condemned. Do you want the weight of what this is to stand up here on a Sunday morning knowing that is what follows you if you preach something other than the gospel? This is a, it's a big deal. It's weighty. But that's what Paul knew. And so he says this, church, listen. In a moment, I'm going to sign this letter off. But I need you. I'm just one of the saints. I have got nothing special. I am no one special. God has given me something that I don't deserve. I didn't earn. But he's given me this task. And that's to take the gospel and proclaim it to anyone that will listen. And now it's taken me all the way to Rome. And I need you to pray for me because I'm a human and fear is real in my life and I don't always know what to do with it. And I need God to give me the words so that when I open my mouth, they're his and not mine. I'm not tempted by giving some alternate message or something that just gets me a couple of slaps on the back saying, hey, great job, Paul, you didn't put me to sleep. To fight that urge, to preach a gospel, even if it kills me. And then he gives this one little last little token walk away sentence, which is sort of a throwaway, but is really powerful. And he just says this. He says, he says, pray for me. He says, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. So Paul saw himself not as a prisoner. He didn't see himself as a prisoner in Rome. He saw himself as an ambassador that just happened to be in chains. So Paul, in the middle of his biggest struggle, and, and again, we can probably debate what Paul's biggest struggle was, but I would think being towards the end of your gospel ministry, knowing you're going to stand before the most brutal dictator the world has ever known and proclaim a gospel that will get you killed was probably Paul's darkest hour. And not see yourself as a victim, right, as a helpless prisoner, but instead to say, no, even in this darkest hour, I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador for truth. I just happen to be in chains. What that tells me truthfully is that even in my most difficult moments, in the moments where life doesn't make a lot of sense, where I don't have all the answers, in the moments where I want to wail and grieve and cry, in the moments where I don't have answers for why my family's struggling with this or why I'm going through this, in those moments, I am not a hapless victim. But in those moments, I am still an ambassador for Christ. I am someone that gets to proclaim the love and the goodness of God, even in the deepest and darkest valleys. I just happen to be walking through suffering. I'm an ambassador even in chains. I'm an ambassador even in suffering. I'm an ambassador even in struggling. No matter what you are dealing with, you are not a victim. In Christ, we are given the title, more than conquerors. In Christ, we have been giving 
eternal victory already, which means that as people that have put our hope and faith and trust in Christ, we are already guaranteed a victory, abundant life here on earth and eternal life in heaven, which means even in your darkest hour, we have the ability to say, Jesus, I am yours. Use me. Use me. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what I'm walking through, but I believe that you are that big and you are that good. Therefore, I am not simply a prisoner. I'm not a prisoner to my grief. I'm not a prisoner to my diagnosis. I'm not a prisoner to my struggle. I am an ambassador that is struggling, and I need the prayers of my people. And that's what it's called to be really alive in the church. It's to say, even though what I'm facing seems difficult, I need the community to pray for me so that I won't be susceptible to all of those lies, to the fear, to the victimization, to all those things. But instead, I would stand on the truth. It says, even as I stand here in suffering, in chains, I'm an ambassador. I've been saved. I've been redeemed. Let me proclaim that to those around me, to those that are struggling, that don't have what I have, to those that are walking through grief with me, that I can be a light in the darkness. As difficult as that may sound in It is the call of the believer that, Lord, I trust you in my darkest hour. I believe that you are who you say you are. And even though I don't know what is held for me on the other side of that door or what tomorrow brings or what next month brings, I don't know. But I know that right here in this moment, you are God. You're God. And I am yours. And so, church, pray for me. And that becomes the call of the church, to know each other so deeply and so well that we pray for each other in those deepest and darkest moments and in the greatest highs of highs that we exist to know and be known and that there is not one of us, myself, Brandon, any of our elders included, that are anything other than just one of the saints. We all need each other. And the call of the church is to pray also for me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is true, that it is binding, that it is authoritative, that it is powerful, and that it is never, ever failing. Lord, I know in my heart of hearts this morning that there are folks in this room that just desperately need your comfort. They need you to tell them it will be okay, that you will never leave them nor forsake them. There are people that need answers. And Lord, the truth is you don't always give them the way that we want them. Your goal for our life is not relief. Your goal for our life is not comfort. Your goal for our life is something holy else, that we might know you and trust you, even in those moments where we have no answers. And so, Lord, as tempting as it is to flail and to fight, help us rest in your arms. Help us trust you. Help us care enough about the people around us that we would pray for them in all of their moments, the great ones and the most difficult ones. And that as Paul says, pray also for me. I'm just Paul. I'm just one of the saints. Pray that as I open my mouth, words would be given, that I would be fearless. I would be fearless. And that I would make known the mystery of the gospel. I wouldn't preach something else that even in my deepest, darkest moments, that I would fall upon the truth. 
and that I am here in chains, but an ambassador for Christ, that in my grief and in my struggle and in my fear, Lord, I am yours. And so, Lord, let us be a church that cares so deeply for each other that we make it our mission to pray for each other, to be honest about where we are, Lord, to vocalize our weakness, ask for the prayers of people around us, and care enough to walk through these valleys together. Lord, for you are our King and our God, and we love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning. Fearless of the world's despising We the ancient path pursue Buried with our Lord and rising To a life divinely new Fearless of the world's despising We the ancient path pursue